This week I'm really excited because I got to hand pick this text. It's one of my favorite hospitality stories. And it's because it's so wonderful, as in inspires so much wonder in me. There's so much that is, um, is marvelous about this story. And so I want to pick it up for you. It happens three days after Jesus has died. It's mid-morning, and there's a couple friends of Jesus, two of his disciples, who are walking the seven miles from the big city of Jerusalem, where everything just happened, to what is presumably their hometown, a village of Emmaus. They're going home. And, uh, and this is the story that happens. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. And if you're a Bible reader, you might want to open it up because I'm going to keep coming back to it all morning. But we're going to begin in uh, Luke 24 verse 14. So these two friends were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, talking about Jesus dying in Jerusalem. But there, um, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What's weird about that? He's supposed to be dead. Okay, good. Just making sure that you're with, with me in the story here. Okay, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Let's pause right there. Can you remember the last time that you were emotional in public? I know I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so I know some of you have never had that experience. But there are some of us who remember what it's like the last time you were emotional, either really high, really excited, or like crying in public. Anybody have a moment like that? Okay, in those moments, what do you do when someone walks up as if to join your conversation? Well, one one of my methods is that you just ignore them, right? If you don't make eye contact, maybe they'll just walk away, right? Has anybody been the avoider in that conversation? No one. Okay, just me. Okay, great. Maybe you're this person. Okay, so they walk up and you just like slap on a like really normal smile. Like you level it all out, change the subject, and you just go, oh, hi, Ashley. It's really good to see you. Let me introduce you to Larry and just pretend it never happened. Anybody done that before? Okay. What I can never remember doing is having a stranger, like not someone I I know, but like a stranger walk up in the middle of the tears and go, come on in. I'm so disappointed. I'm so glad to meet you. I'm Megan. Like, no, like I've never invited a stranger into a super emotional conversation. Okay. I just can't remember ever, ever having done that. But the amazing beginning of hospitality in this story is that these two friends of Jesus open up their conversation to a stranger. And it's amazing what else God opens up. My parents were here a couple weeks ago, and I was um, really wanting to explain to my parents how weird my life has suddenly become. So I don't know why, but over the last couple months, I mean, I have have ideas, but over the last couple months, God has been Uh, surrounding me with conversations all the time, everywhere I go, with people who are either seeking God or they're really actively not seeking God. Does that, do you know what I mean by that? They're like actively walking away from the church. And I'm not talking about people who like come into the church building and want to talk to a pastor about spiritual things. I'm talking about the couple at the restaurant who are at the table next to me 
or um, the mom in the waiting room at the doctor's office. It's like everywhere I go, God's up to something. And I was trying to explain this to my parents, especially about how many crazy relationships God is opening up in Port Orchard. And I wanted them to come and experience that with me. Now, you might be able to empathize with my parents and go, there's a lot of people in her life. It's kind of overwhelming. I think we'll just sit at home, which is what we did most of the time. But I'd want, I'd been trying to get my parents to understand this. So I take a day off of work to spend quality time with mom shopping in Tacoma. And we go to the Apple store to get my phone fixed first. The first funny thing about that is that I didn't go at my appointment time. I went, re- I went a lot earlier, but they could seat me anyway. And they put me at a table with a lot of other people who needed to have their iPhones fixed. Now, this is really funny. I forgot this first service because there were so many divine appointments that day. But one of them was that Michael Vanavener, who's a member of our church, was sitting at the table next to me. I forgot that because that's just like, it was just such a weird day. So I'm sitting there and the first person next to me is getting her phone fixed and she's super frustrated. I can hear the tech telling her something like it's not repairable, something, something, something. He walks away. And I start to get this nudge that I need to say it's going to be okay. Now here's what that nudge is like. That nudge is often the voice of God speaking to me. You would think that if God would speak to you, it would be the voice of Morgan Freeman, right? <laughs> and you would totally know who that is. But that's, it's funny. That's like not really how God works. So because we believe that those of us who love Jesus have the spirit of Jesus dwelling in us, often his voice sounds a lot like our own. Like it's not really distinguishable from our own thoughts. Except that when God speaks to you, he often tells you things that you would not be inclined to do on your own. Does that make sense? That's the how God speaks to us. Okay, so I'm supposed to tell this girl I don't know everything's going to be okay, which I don't know. But I do it. So the tech goes away. I feel this nudge again. you got to say something. So I put my hand on the table in front of her and I say, it's going to be okay. And she looks up at me like, are you really talking to me? (laughs) And I felt that awkwardness, so I just, like, left it. But I wondered how God was going to open up the chance to talk again. So I was texting Larry, asking, how much do you want for our phone? Thinking maybe I can sell it to her. So the tech, hey. So the tech guy walks away. I didn't, that didn't sound opportunistic in my own head, but okay, here, whatever. So the tech guy walks away. Her phone is irreparable. I ask her if she wants to buy it. She does, and we start having this conversation. She tells me about how she was in a car accident recently. She's lost all her photos back to February. You can imagine how devastating that is. Um, she is in a legal battle. She's having a really hard time at work, and I'm just getting more and more overwhelmed by the minute. So I just ask her, can I pray for you? She's like, like, like right now? <laughs> yes, right now. So I just put my hand over hers and I pray for her short and simple. And when I look up, she's all red in the face, but really teary. And I could tell God was meeting her. And then we exchanged numbers and info. And now Morgan and I are text friends, right? <laughs> so then my mom's there, right? She's like experiencing all this with me. We leave the Apple store and we go to the kiosk to get a new phone, a cover for my phone. And the girl there has an accent. And so I start speaking to her in Spanish. And we get to talking and she's from Ensenada, Mexico. Which is so cool because that's where our mission partner is in Mexico where we send mission trips. And I'm getting to go for the first time this year with our youth. So I was so excited. Woo! She lived there until she was 21. So I'm like, where should I go? And what should I do? And I name drop Agua Viva. 
which is the name of our mission partner. I'm like, I wonder if she'll know it. She said, oh my gosh, my boyfriend went to summer camp there every year for 13 years. Alejandro works at the kiosk four down. So sure enough, hook arms with mom. Mom, we're going to go meet Alejandro. (laughs) Walk up, start talking to Alejandro in Spanish, start learning about Ensenada from his eyes, where we should go. I ask him if he's still connected to God. He's like, no. But my mom goes to a really great Spanish-speaking church in Tacoma, so I get the name of that church, and who knows where that will go. Point is, I leave Alejandro's kiosk with mom, and she goes, I see. (laughs) It's been just this incredible ride of a couple months where when you're open to God interrupting you, when you give him time to do that, when you listen to those little nudges, when God speaks to you and you listen and you obey, I don't know what happens in the heavenly realm, but it multiplies and he starts speaking to you more and those nudges get more clear And what comes out of that becomes more significant. It was just a simple act of opening a conversation. And yet God wanted to open so much more. And that's what happens with these two disciples. They've been in the habit, in the practice of walking with Jesus for three years. And so when they find themselves walking on a road and a stranger walks up and says, what are you talking about? They're open to the conversation. And here's how it goes. Jesus walks up and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, you know, everything that's been happening. And Jesus is like, no, I don't know. And they said, well, everything concerning Jesus. Now, those of you who don't yet um, or don't believe that Jesus is God, I want you especially to listen to this because you might describe Jesus the same way. So they said, well, you know, Jesus, the guy who was born in Nazareth, who's a prophet who said and done a lot of amazing things, who died three days ago. That guy. And then this heartbreaking line in verse 21. They said, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Now, when they say it's been the third day, what they mean as Jewish people is that there's an expectation that the third day is a day of fulfillment. So if nothing's happened by the third day, nothing's going to happen. And so what they're saying is that we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. He was going to buy Israel back from Roman occupation. As if the end of Jesus' ministry was going to be Jesus sitting on an actual throne in Jerusalem, making Israel the most powerful nation on earth. And what they're saying is Jesus died three days ago, and with that death died the hope that Jesus was more than a prophet who could do a lot of amazing things. We had hoped. And I wonder how many of you today would walk in and say, yeah, I had hoped that Jesus, this guy who was born in Nazareth, who said and did a lot of amazing things, yeah, I had hoped that he was going to be the one to save my lost child to heal my friend of their sickness, to break the pattern of addiction in my family line. Yeah, I had hoped to, but it's been too long. It's not going to happen. I had hoped. Beautiful thing. I just, I can't believe this about um, the disciples, but they opened up that conversation about their disappointment in Jesus 
while they were still in the middle of it. That's incredibly difficult to do. I had two friends come and talked with me this week about some disappointments in their own life. And their conversation, mine as well, have opened up with, I had hoped. And it's an incredible privilege to sit with them in that I had hoped before the circumstance changes. But that's where these disciples are, and they're open to letting a stranger in to that wound. And that opening opens up a a response from Jesus that if that feels raw to you, I'm just going to be honest, this might be kind of hard to hear. Jesus' response. But I'm going to ask you to stick with me because I think there's a lot of power in what he says. And if you can't receive it today, maybe you can receive it in the future. So this is what Jesus says in response to them pouring out all their disappointments about him, right? Jesus is the one they're talking to. They just don't recognize it. And they've just poured out everything they're disappointed about in him. This is what Jesus says. I'm going to add some of my own words just to flesh out the meaning here. He says to them, oh, foolish ones. He's not saying you're stupid. He's saying you're dense. You're close-minded. You're slow of heart to believe. He's saying you've been so slow to conform your attitudes and your expectations about what would happen to who I am. You've been slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You've been slow of heart to connect everything I've always been doing to this particular moment. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says, you can't understand why I died on the cross because you won't take on my way of suffering You refuse my way of suffering, and so you can't understand what has happened. Jesus goes on to walk through the Old Testament with them to show them his pattern of seeing the suffering of his people and entering into it with them and bringing them rescue, bringing them redemption. And he says, how could you who've walked with me, who know the Old Testament, how could you have missed that the way to victory is through suffering? Now the Old Testament, all of the story of scripture, here's a major spoiler alert, God wins. That's always the story, okay? But God never shies away from suffering. And you could say, why doesn't God just come out and and do away with suffering? I don't know. Here's what I do know. The way of God has always been to press into suffering and to through suffering bring glory. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into glory? It makes no sense in the world. I totally get that. But it makes all the sense in the world with Jesus, the one who died and was resurrected. In Jesus dying and being resurrected, he opened a pathway. There was a new way that had never been there before, that out of death could come resurrection, that out of relational pain, Jesus could enter in and bring peace. 
That out of working through the steps of the anger and the bitterness of your family history, Jesus could come into that and create a pathway to enduring patience. That path had never been opened before. But in Christ, he opened it up. I don't know if you like Jesus' answer or not. Honestly, it can be a really hard one to swallow. Because we don't want suffering to be a part of the journey. We don't want it to be the story. And I get that. I do. Here's the deal. I want you to know that God understood that too. And so when the father saw the suffering of his people, beginning in Genesis 3, I mean the story is over and over again. When God sees the suffering of his people, he's not content to let you suffer. He moves in. And Jesus, God became Jesus in the flesh so that he might take on our suffering and create a pathway for us out of suffering once and for all. So the only way out of our disappointment is to open up that conversation to God and let the suffering that Jesus went through be sufficient to carry us through our own suffering on our pathway to glory. Is it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into his glory? Are we also slow of heart to believe? That this is the story of God. And this is the rescue that he has planned for us. The story could have ended right there and it would have been a, it would have been a lecture that would have been hard to hear about suffering, right? Except for a third moment of hospitality. Let me read to you what happens next. Jesus has just finished giving them the Suffering to glory as it's always been lecture. And then verse 28 says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. That's Jesus. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their, from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They had opened their conversation. They'd opened their disappointments. Now they're opening their home And Jesus is revealing to them who he really is. Jenna Meyer Peter wrote um, this week's devotional. If you don't already have one of these, you can download it online. And I really encourage you to do that because this story has so many layers to it. And uh, Jenna called me after she finished and submitted this week. And she's like, can I change it? I said, nope. (laughs) She said, I have one more thing. I said, good, give it to me. I'll steal it for my sermon. So this is what Jenna said. She said, I wonder if Jesus was just waiting to see their hearts. Social obligation was that they would ask once for a stranger to stay. So they'd extended the the social obligation, stay with us, because it says that Jesus acted as if he were going to go further, right? 
but then they urge him to stay. And by doing so, Jesus tests their hearts to see, are they just going to check the box? Are they just checking the hospitality box of, I did it once, and so I'm good. But Jesus wants to see, are they really my followers? Are they really like me? Well, they extend radical hospitality in the way that I do. So Jesus waits till they urge him to stay. And he, he comes in to stay with them. And then this uh, just really uh, wonderful role reversal happens that's always so often the case with Jesus. He comes in as the guest, right? But then he sits at the head of the table and he takes the bread and blesses it as the host. And he gives it back to them and provides for them in their own home. And in that moment of shared table, of shared hospitality, this is just a wonder to me. Jesus reveals who he is. And they suddenly understand that the stranger who's been with them is Jesus who died on the cross. And he has raised from the dead. And then we know because the story keeps going that they then in reverse can unpack all those hopes that they had had and try to understand now what they mean. See, it was only in hindsight that they could see that Jesus had been with them the whole time they were disappointed. They couldn't see that when they were in the middle of the disappointment. They could only see it after the fact. After he had urged, after they had urged him to stay with them. And so here's my encouragement to you. I want to encourage you that if you are in, um, as you are walking along, see what these three little steps of hospitality, what they might do in you, what God might want to open up. When you open up a conversation, when you're open in a season of disappointment, when you're open with God, when you let others be open about their disappointments, and then when you urge Jesus to stay And open your life to him even before you understand. Even before you're not disappointed anymore. Urge Jesus to stay. And just see what else God might want to open up. It's after they urge him to stay that they get to see who God really is. The resurrected one. The redeemer. Their savior. Jenna has another quote in her book, or in the devotional on page 67. She says, Jesus, the newly risen Savior, allowed for an invitation from his creation before going in to reveal his identity. You're not going to find that Jesus is a pushy guest. I don't know why it is, but Jesus is so often willing to walk with us unnoticed. Until we invite him to come in and to stay with us. And I would urge you to expect him to reveal himself when you ask him to stay. And expect him to take on the role of host in your life. Providing for you what you don't expect. Blessing the little bit that you have. And giving it back out to others. And what's really fun is that when Jesus does this, it's not in fancy places. He's going to reveal himself around tables and in apple stores and around 
Santa visitation at seven seas, okay? You just never know where God is going to want to show up and reveal himself because he comes in the most ordinary of places. The pressure is off of you. Jesus is the one who opens eyes to see him. He's the one who opens hearts to understand the scripture. So the pressure's off. The invitation is what's on. The invitation is open. And there's one of two invitations you might want to respond to today. One is to open up a conversation with God about what you're disappointed about. Maybe you've never felt like you could say out loud, I had hoped that Jesus would. And when you do that, I want to invite you to urge him to then stay. You urge Jesus to stay when you keep praying When you keep reading his word, John 1 that we're about to go into will be a beautiful passage to sit in with your disappointments. You urge him to stay when you journal, when you talk with others about what God is doing. So I want to invite you, maybe you need to open up a conversation with God about what you're disappointed about. The other invitation is to open up your conversation with your closed circle of friends. I actually like mean this literally physically open up when you're talking to someone especially at church keep that circle open and let other people join in your conversation I want to say even especially if you're disappointed especially if you're having a bad day because people who don't know Jesus need to see how people who love Jesus handle disappointment this question of suffering is the biggest question that people have And it's a a remarkable act of hospitality that you can give to let someone in and to open up your conversation. If you call Chapel Hill your home, I have one final hospitality challenge for you along those lines. And that's to help us on Christmas weekend. Now, I think we're a little crazy, but I also think that we're listening to God. Kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. We're doing eight services Christmas Eve weekend. Saturday, Sunday morning, Christmas Eve. And it's remarkable who will show up for Christmas who won't show up in the rest of the year. A lot of times it has to do with the holiday and the hopes and the disappointments that people are carrying that they'll show up just one more time to see if there's anything this Christmas. Sometimes they just show up because their ribs are sore from mom saying, come on, this is the only thing I want for Christmas. Come to church with me. You know, that's possible too. But you have the ability to keep the conversation open for them with God. There's a lot of things that can shut down someone talking to God. First thing is whether or not they can find a parking space. And if someone was rude to them on the way in, can I get an amen? And so one of the ways you can help is just to help in the parking lot. And then when they come to the doors, be the hospitable ones who see if someone's lost and see if they need to know where they're going. There is nothing that shuts down feeling like I'm connected to Jesus than a bad drop-off, okay? And so you can help in the nursery, help with the kids. You can help by being at the back doors of the sanctuary. So when someone walks in who is carrying disappointment— You can use one of these little openers like God gave me, the it's going to be okay. Or like Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't know why God does it, but he wants to use really simple acts of hospitality to open up what he's doing. And I want you to be able to be a part of that. 
I texted Serena um, Blair, one of our worship leaders this week, and I said, Aslan's on the move. I don't know if all y'all know that reference, but it's from C.S. Lewis, and Aslan is the, the God figure. And when they're expecting something big to happen, they say, Aslan's on the move. And as, God is on the move here. He's opening up things that have not been opened before. He's bringing people in that have not been around his people before. And we need together to be a community where people can open up a conversation with God and where people can be opened and invited into conversation about how God moves in the world. And so I want you to be a part of that. You can sign up to help particularly that Christmas weekend. There's an insert in your... um, worship guide that you could fill out and put in the offering plate as an offering you want to give today. Or you could sign up at the rolling um, sign-ups. There's not a better word for that at the back um, on your way out. But I invite you to come and be a part of what God is doing here. I want to close by giving you an invitation, um, a way of opening that conversation with God. And let's just see what he wants to do when we open up just a little bit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, walking and talking with you is as, um, as simple as what we see in this story of just airing out to you all the things that we're thinking about, all the things that have happened, even when those are disappointments. And so, Jesus, I pray especially for those who need to open a conversation with you today. Would they feel safe with you? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show them what you've shown me, that you were not willing to let your people sit in their suffering without creating a pathway for them out of it into life with you. Life with you now and life with you eternally. So Jesus, would there be people today who want to start that walk with you? Jesus, I pray for those who um, have been comfortable for a while in their closed circles of friends. Jesus, would you help us open the conversation Because we expect to know people we wouldn't know otherwise and expect to see you reveal yourself in ways you haven't yet. And we want to be in on the stories of Morgan and Alejandro and those that you are drawing to yourself. So help us open up. Holy Spirit, help us to expect to hear your voice and to know it when you speak. And Holy Spirit, I ask for you to move mightily among us as a congregation here, that many would come to know who you are, especially this Christmas. Would those who live in darkness see a great light and a path to freedom and to salvation and to redemption that is only made possible through you. Jesus, would you use our offerings to open that pathway. Use the offering of our time over the Christmas weekend. Use the offering of our money to turn on the lights, to give us time to prepare a message, 
to create the space to prepare for our kids. Jesus, would these offerings be a blessing unto you, our Savior and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.